0: this podcast. I'm James Batchelor and this week I'm joined by
1: Matt Andrahan and Brendan Sinclair.
0: We're going to be talking about the biggest stories of the week starting with Square Enix. Uh, the company has decided that its Japanese employees or as many eligible employees as possible are now going to permanently work at home or at least spend at least three days a week working at home. Uh, office employees will spend at least three days a week in the office. Um, it's the biggest shift for a company. We've had other companies this year, so Bossa Studios, for example, UK developer between behind I Am Bread and Surgeon Simulator, they shifted to a kind of a hybrid remote office model earlier this year, which is very much kind of if you want to work at home, just work at home. If you want to work in the office, come to the office, whatever suits you. This is, Square Enix is the biggest company we've seen make a significant change so far during the, uh, the pandemic, um, Rob Fahey, our contributing editor, has written a great column on the implications of this, um, both good and bad. And we are going to dive into that further. Um, what was your initial responses to this, guys?
1: I think it's, uh, it, it's interesting because it's something that we've kind of been expecting uh, since March just like we've sort of speculated about the possibility of companies getting a taste for remote work and, and then deciding like, Hey, you know, this, this actually, uh, doesn't harm the productivity. It cuts out things like commute time for our employees, greater flexibility with where they live. All that is, is, is appealing for a lot of reasons. But now that we are starting to see the actual, like the first movement toward actually realizing that, um, I've mostly just got a lot of questions as to sort of a, a messy transitional period, uh, that we're, that we're looking at here where companies are still, uh, they still have these offices that they're paying tremendous amounts of money to rent. They still have, employee bases that are centralized around those offices and can come in for a day or two a week if they want um well once the pandemic's over and and that doesn't seem to me to be what that won't be the situation i don't think if we do see uh publishers switch whole hog to uh remote work because uh, the 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 expense of the office space, the the expense of uh, for the developers of living so close to these development hubs uh, and these offices, it just seems unreasonable to to foist that on uh, both the publisher and the, and the and the people working there if they're only going to do it for like two days a week so i am I'm, I'm just really uh curious like what happens to offices like do they do they if, they if they go for a more remote work uh setup there still will be times when there are you know benefits from everyone getting together uh for for development um and and you know in person facetime and everything and and where does that happen if if they if they don't uh, have these these office spaces that are equipped to handle like the entire workforce coming in to work at basically the same time,
0: that's the thing. It does it does feel a little short term focused on right. Well, the day to day for now and the day to day for some you know, for, for some considerable time works as you know primarily remote. But there are always going to be those times that you need. More people, certainly more, you know, like to get everyone to the office. Um, the example, uh, Siobhan Reddy from Media Molecule actually spoke to uh, our publisher, Chris String was talking about this. Um, she said um, that making games remotely is easy enough, but coming up with ideas and brainstorming them remotely is much more challenging, which I think, yeah, like simple things like, you know, to relate it to our own experience. If we're trying to come up with a headline or something, like, and everyone's kind of bouncing ideas off each other, it's definitely harder via slack than it is that say when when you're in the office like i've 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 seen the Eurogamer team for example bouncing back and forth on puns and coming up with their puns and that is just a much more of a dynamic conversation if you're in um in your in an office together with the whole team now yeah <laughs> you know, pun's not quite as important as design direction of a game well it's true it's so, true
2: but also like i mean it- I I think the temptation with this issue is that we end up talking about it in in binaries that that don't actually exist. So, for example, like this idea that, well, my, my understanding, first of all, is that. The Square Enix thing is Square Enix Japan, and it's not even everyone that works at Square Enix Japan. And that these aren't mandatory remote. Now, anyone that is remote can still come into the office. So they're not immediately going to get rid of all desk space that isn't occupied by a full-time office worker. They're not going to do that. They'll have hot desk spacing open, right? So now I'm trying to think, all right, so to take the vaughan Ready idea, because I do fundamentally agree it does feel like a bit of a rush because I, I but not because I think it's a bad idea to do it I just think it's quite a difficult transition to manage and doing it too quickly is probably not a brilliant idea and I don't know if six months is really enough time to to do it effectively but to take that Siobhan Reddy example meaning mean it, not every team in an entire company has to brainstorm on the same day you know what I mean like the video games I mean I actually I, it relates weirdly to a, to a tweet to a tweet. To some tweets I saw from Andy Robinson, the editor of VGC, who was talking about things that he learned when he was working in development. He used to be a journalist and he's now back in journalism again. He was saying, like, these are the things that I learned. One of the things he was talking about is how modular game production and development is, that every team works in a little silo. There really aren't going to be very many days where you need an inter- where you need the entire company in the office at the same time. In fact, I would say there's probably almost nothing outside of things like Christmas parties, AGMs. Actually, in terms of making the game, you can probably do it without everybody being there. You need teams, but the teams aren't the entire team. So you know, a game like Assassin's Creed or hell, Final Fantasy VII, let's let's take a Square Enix game. There may be 500 people working on that, but will there ever be a day where you need all 500 in the office? I doubt it. I I personally would question that. But I think it is this thing where when we talk about working at home versus working in an office, it's tempting to do it like everyone being in the office or everybody being at home, when actually what the real situation is different, like on any one day, because what it sounds like to me is Square Enix Japan hasn't said all roles are now remote. It said roles that can be remote are now remote. And even then, there's a choice buried within that, which is that employees can still come to use the office, but the space for them is limited. The question is, what, 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 what tasks, what processes would require a critical mass of the team to all be in one place at one time? even when they're spread across different disciplines that ramp up and ramp down at different times when it comes to making games so so as you say like the ideation stage is the example you gave that that is that has been given by quite a few developers but that's like quite early on in a project and at the point where game designers are are kind of brainstorming things the art team may not be working at full tilt the programmers may not be working at full tilt like the the way game production works is it's different pipelines moving in tandem, but they kind of they go fast and slower at different rates. What I, what my my question is actually is is more has Square Enix done the thinking to really understand how this works? Because for me, it really feels like you'd need like the entire lifespan of a whole AAA production to really understand where you're where you can have people in or out of the office and. And that's something that Rob explored in his feature today. That this transition seems to be inevitably coming, but are companies looking at it in the right way? Are they just thinking, to what Brendan was saying earlier, we've got all of this office space that's not being used. We can save some money here. And Rob's argument is that's a disastrous way of going about
0: it.
1: Well, if they do this for you know four or five years, they're they're going to be wondering why they're you know still paying for for the office space. Things will. We'll trim down there. But, uh, I, I, Rob's column, um, was an interesting one because he, you know, he, he pointed out that that savings on the office space are, are going to be offset by the expense of outfitting every single one of these employees with all the, the, you know, the, the, the kit that they need at their own homes and the, the, you know, paying for their broadband and, and all the, uh, I, I mean, they can they can write off some of it if the company is not paying for it, but I mean, realistically, the 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 things that are going to be absolutely required of them uh, are are things that the company will will almost certainly mm, be obligated to pay. If 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 not legally, um, then then certainly if they want to attract the talent. So, it, it, since there's going to be so much remote working anyways um i i wonder how how like rob sort of dismisses the cost-cutting element of this and and thinks of it as uh he says it's sort of short-sighted if if companies are looking at this as a chance to save money on the office space and all that but i i don't think that i don't think that that's a um a trivial consideration uh for for them and i i think this actually will be an issue when when Publishers that, that do remote work actually do have to transition to smaller offices. And there are questions about where those offices are going to be. Uh, I'm I've Right now, I think one of the benefits of remote work is the way that it um, opens up your talent base beyond, you know, whatever development hub you happen to be based in. If there's really top flight talent and they want to live you know, with their, their family in Arkansas or something, then you still can have access to them no matter where in the world you are in, in, in theory, like the logistical issues of it with remote working are, are lessened. Um, there's still time zone issues. There's still international employment issues and just simply paying people. But one of the big benefits of remote working is just having access to that talent. And I think companies are going to want to take advantage of that and then i wonder like you've got so many publishers that are based in quebec with really large presences uh, thousands and thousands of people and they're there because they're getting tax breaks from the government right the government is is providing incentives for them because they know you're going to hire uh, a lot of people you're going to help out the economy uh train a workforce here make this more of a development hub to attract even more people into our into our, our uh, economy and, and keep it healthy that way and make us a leader in this emerging tech space but when companies can remote work are our provinces states whatever are they going to be all that keen to attract them you know whatever that limited office space is? To a certain area, if the people aren't actually going to be required to be in that area in the first place, and if companies switch to remote space but then insist that workers still come in for a day or two a week, then you're you're losing out on a lot of the benefits of of uh, yeah. remote work setup. So it, that's something. Yeah. So I like. I think push. there's Sorry. there are a lot of a lot of things. Uh, around the industry, that this decision that publishers are making right now um, that will have knock-on effects of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we're you know we're kind of in danger of skipping over loads of individual issues. But I think one of the one of the key ones, at least on into, on from the perspective of um, well, look, I mean, I, I guess I look at it this way because it's again this thing of. of of absolutes, like where I don't actually think that any publisher is going to go all remote. I actually think there's more likely going to be a division. Um, I think with what Square Enix has done might actually map more closely to what's going to happen, which is some publishers are going to say certain roles can't be remote and certain roles can. It's not going to be where a hundred percent remote. That's, I think smaller companies can do that. I'm not sure that larger companies can, um, that would be my feeling, at least. There's, there's no kind of rule book on this at the moment. Obviously, it's only happened in a few places, but I think it's it's pretty telling that that smaller companies have felt more free to, to do this. And indeed, you know, way before the lockdown, plenty of smaller developers were were already doing it. The Square Enix feels. More significant because it's a much much bigger company, um, and there are much, many more logistics to consider. But it hasn't said everyone can go, and you would have to think that the role by role, there. I mean, well, we would know, right? We 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 could say like our our website is remotely run, um, so therefore this kind of work can be done effectively remotely. I think there are other job types certainly within related to the game production that won't. I think that's an incredibly difficult problem to solve in terms of company culture. Um, so what one thing that Rob says in his piece is that some people don't see working in an office as a burden some people do and that a lot of this is overstated you know the, the people who now have a taste of remote working are kind of overstating or, or assuming everybody wants to work that way when actually that's not true but the point is that if you're doing it role by role and I do think this is, an, this is going to be an early tactic in, in how companies think about remote work you know programmers can't you know, art people can, just to plug two completely random examples out of the air. There are going to be people within each of those groups who are more or less happy with being allowed to, with being, being told to remote work versus being denied remote work. Um, that's a very, very... It's going to create two factions. That's what that's what Rob put forward, and, it, and it's something that I've been thinking about. But the thing is, it's not just, just going to cut one way. Some people will be happier with remote work than others, but they may not end up getting to choose which camp they fall into. And I actually don't know how logistically you make it work if you just get, give everybody, regardless of what their job is, an, an equal choice. So half of your programming team is remote, half isn't. And two thirds of your art team is, and a third isn't like that doesn't seem to work at all so i think i don't mm, i think we're going it, the companies experimenting with this have got a bunch of different issues in many directions to solve brendan you 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 kind of gestured towards Sort of like local governmental issues um, around, you know, when where the Quebec government, for example, gives support to games companies, and what happens when half of the workforce of a particular company decides to move to a different province in Canada because it's cheaper there or they're nearer to their family? What does that do for that kind of support? That's one side of it. But another side of it is just who gets to choose where they work, how they work. Is it done by role? Is it just done by individual? And how do you make, if, you, if you're a manager and half of your team is over Zoom and half of your team is sitting in front of you, how do you make that feel harmonious? It, it just seems to be like a, a huge box full of various different problems that's been opened up purely because everybody's had a taste for six months of the kind of the freedom that, that working from home can grant you. Um, and not everybody did find that freedom uh, you know encouraging some founder innovating, some found it uh, depressing you know so it's it's a difficult thing to judge whether it is a good or a bad thing, but certainly it creates a bunch of different questions with no obvious or easy answers.
1: There are definitely cultural issues with having a a workforce that is uh, partly centralized in an office and, and partly working remote, uh, just talking from experience uh, I, I guess with with games industry. Like, I don't think you realize how little visibility I have into the UK side of things. Like, we, we have overlap between my workday and the, the European team's workday. Um, but it is, it is really easy for, for things to happen and for me to just completely miss them. Um, like, I found out, I think, months after the fact when matt moved to germany like it just did not enter into my consciousness in any way that this was happening just from like you know reading the slack conversations for a while and then you find out like oh wow okay so that's that's a pretty significant thing that i've you know just completely missed out on um whereas if you're in an office with someone obviously you're going to notice when they when they move like that um it, like I'm, I'm not i'm not complaining about the, the, you know, cultural divide here. Uh, I think our team is small enough that it's, it's been able to be, you know, pretty pretty good, pretty functional for the most part. But like when I think about just the, the sort of way that people can feel um, isolated or on an island or not part of, you know, like the core team when there's half the team is, is seeing each other every day, and and sort of having you know the ability to to like have that social time uh the water cooler talk stuff that 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 helps uh make them feel close then then like rob was warning is that ed- in his editorial he kind of like there's a risk of clicks forming and it's it's not it's not like there's a group of people that get together and decide let's keep these other people out or let's only be friends with among ourselves. It's just sort of like, this is how it works. When, when someone is a, you know, a a profile in the Slack chat for a few hours a day or, or, you know, a remote voice in a meeting. And, and that's something that I think, especially for larger development teams, Matt's right. That's going to be a huge issue for, for them to deal with. Another element of the communication difference, though, I I think uh, that that publishers might like is uh, I I suspect that a remote working workforce is going to be less likely to unionize, Um, partly because of that lack of uh, interpersonal time to like kind of uh, talk as as friends in, instead of as coworkers, um, the just kind of that 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 isolation and that lack of visibility into everyone else's working situation. Um, I think that that benefits publishers. And honestly, I don't know right now if there are that many publishers that are really quaking in their boots about uh, organization. But I do think that um, remote work makes it a little a little harder, um, because people don't really have a read on their coworkers quite as well, uh, as to like who they can trust with the absolute most, you know, uh, personal concerns and thoughts and everything. And, and then also that it, it just makes it harder to tell when, uh, some groups of employees are, are being treated very differently than, than others.
0: Also makes it harder for individual employees to work out if they are being treated differently or if they are feeling the same. You know the, as you say, like kind of conversations between colleagues that are in an office that have that interpersonal time that can see that each other. Like the, they can see their colleagues getting stressed out by a certain situation or under a certain amount of pressure. If you are isolated, in an individual. You might just feel like oh it's just me falling behind. I need to do better, and you might not know, might not realize that everyone else is suffering. Like everyone can just say oh yeah I'm fine in the Slack chat, but you don't that you don't see or know what that means. Whereas if you're in an office and someone visibly, yeah, like someone actually verbally says I'm fine, you can sometimes pick up like under the subtext and the tone is like no they're not fine and I'm not fine and we need to do something about this. And that's a lot harder. When, as you say, when you're when you're only communicating digitally via text and screen, you do not pick up on what's actually happening behind what you're saying.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I think what we're kind of what we're touching upon here is that there isn't neither way is perfect. Uh, All in the office is not perfect. All remote is not perfect. And a mix of the two is not perfect. Like there are up and downsides to both. The the kind of the real weight of the issue is on the what it, the equation an individual company will do to decide what new mix is because you know the thing that has happened is why why I kind of mentioned earlier that everybody has been given a taste right so for example like I know like our our, our teams are centralised around the UK but we each individually work from our homes just to give everybody listening a little insight like. Uh, James is based in one part of the UK. I'm based up in Scotland. I was in Berlin for a while. Previous editor, Matt Martin, lived in North Wales. Previous member of our staff, Rachel Webber, lived over in uh, near Bristol. Uh, Dan was the one person that was actually based in Brighton. And yes, obviously, within the UK, we would meet up more often and we would have more time online together. But say for, for, for Matt and I, for example, like to... Matt Martin, former editor, back when he was on, we might go to Brighton once every six weeks or something like that, you know. So, and that, I think, is probably the kind of thing that we're kind of really dealing with in terms of what companies would be contemplating. They'd be contemplating semi-regular visits to an office from people located not really far away, but reasonably like close enough to still kind of pop over and pop in and be around their, their colleagues when and as they can. Um, that, that's kind of what we're looking at but, but that also—that's not ideal in some ways. Um, obviously, as you get remove it further away. So, uh, Games Industry.biz has always, has for a long time, had uh, uh, people working in North America. Brendan, obviously, we've had James Brightman out there in the past, and various other people. <clears throat> um, as soon. Well, the further removed you get, the more the communication break, breaks down and the more information gets lost and the less effective communication just generally is. And that, that's certainly a truth of the matter. But this what this structure has allowed is for, you know where people to like, for example, James, you know, you have a family where you're living, like it, moving to Brighton would have seriously increased your living costs in a way that you would have found it very, very difficult to manage. I mean, that's a huge, huge thing. And it's, it easily balances the scale against potential breakdowns in communication, right? Like, or the possibility that, you know, the way that the kind of negative events at work might not get dealt with. I mean, those, neither one is unimportant, but neither one, completely overshadows the other one as well, right? So that's kind of the issue here, that people have been given a taste of a certain way of working, and there are enough people now who are really not gonna wanna go back to the way it was before, to the commute, to the... I was thinking about this the other day, actually, We ran, um, I think it was Best Places to Work Awards, we ran a a panel about uh, the the COVID lockdown and how that would affect companies going forward. I was the host of it. And I asked each person on this panel, okay, you know, serious answers and I want, you know, the hard facts. How are your policies around in-office working going to change? And I forget which company it was, and it's probably a good thing because I wouldn't want to... I wouldn't want to want to give this opinion, but one company said it was going to be so many days every week. So basically, they were relaxing it. It was no longer five days, but it'd be, but they would still require—I forget what it was—two or three days a week. And I just thought, but that really doesn't do very much. You still need to live very close to the office for that to make any sense. It's like the the, the least you can give, really, in many many ways, and it actually doesn't allow people to materially change their lives in a way that remote work can let you do that. So, for example, like if if that company's as as very often computer games companies are, are based in very expensive places to live, you really don't have very many options to go and live somewhere a lot, lot cheaper, which in the UK is in the north of England or or quite far away from big cities. And people with families increasingly want to do this kind of thing. But if you've got to be in that office three days a week, you just don't have that option. So this is the kind of thing uh, uh, where any balance you strike, I feel like it that it just creates significant issues or undermines potential benefits on both sides. And I, I don't know that you, you end up with a mix that benefits people all that much more than the one we could we had before COVID lockdown.
0: And that goes back to um, what you were saying about like the cost of living, um, but then also that this is based off people getting a taste for remote working. And yes, a lot of people have got a taste for um, remote living. Okay, a personal example, um, my brother-in-law has got a taste for remote working has really enjoyed spending more time at home with his wife and daughter and so he has actually left his company he started his own consultancy firm and he is working at home most of the week and then he rents a co-working space in the town centre where he lives with a friend of his who happens to live in the same town and that way they're a lot closer to home which is fine if you live near a co-working space if you live near the people that you want to work with and if you have the space to work at home which I don't think he does and I believe he's um, planning on upsizing similar to me i i i have worked at home i've worked remotely since joining uh gi biz four years ago and that's fine and it works and and, but the the longer it goes on and certainly the more we've been talking about remote working this year i realise that i and this applies to so many other people as well maybe don't quite have the facilities to be working at home on a permanent basis I have my shed famously I have my <laughs> shed that I work in
2: during the summer <laughs> it's which... only yeah it's only warm enough for about five months of the year or it's something.
0: only warm enough for about five months in the year and that's only due to global warming if we had a proper <laughs> traditional historical British summer it would be two weeks a year and then the rest of the time I'm in the kitchen Matt I believe you also kitchen. work in the kitchen, kitchen that yeah. is not necessarily yeah. ideal deal i mean we we talked about this on an episode earlier this year about the benefits of having a a permanent workspace versus just having the flexibility to work wherever and for different people it's different things but i'm actually reaching the stage and i'm sure other people are after you know six to eight to nine months or however long it has been that we've all been um, stuck at home, I'm actually thinking, you know what, no, I would like a proper room that isn't made out of wood that could serve as a workspace. But then that comes into that cost of living of, right, well, now you're talking about moving into a house that has an extra bedroom. And obviously, as we all know, certainly in the UK, The more bedrooms you have, the higher your property costs go. And yes, potentially I could move to a further area because I'm remote and now I don't have to stay. But there are other factors like I want to be able to stay obviously close to family. But also I want to be, I still need to be able to access the office as and when we do. So I need to be near a transport hub. We go on um, events. I happen to be 20 minutes down the road from an airport. So that's kind of what. And there's all these different factors that, yes, I like working at home. And a lot of people this year will have liked working at home. But does the home is the home set up to allow for home working. Houses are not built as as office, with offices in mind. So for everyone to suddenly shift, and I'm not saying that we are going to, but, but for there to be this dramatic shift of more people working at home, the houses aren't necessarily built for that in a way that suits everyone.
2: Yeah. I think it comes maybe right back round to sort of first principles, which is, you know, why why exactly it has Square Enix decided, let's do this right now, rather than wait to see what impact a vaccine has and, and then figure out what kind of working situation can be restored in short order once that happens, right? Like, why, why has it kind of made this commitment to it already? Is it just about saving the money on, on the rent? Because all of those seems to be pretty valid concerns to me. And and it just seems like, like a very, very, it just seems a little bit too quick to kind of rush into a... a, a Changing the way that you work for the rest of time, basically, that <laughs> that's that's a big thing to commit to. That raises all kinds of issues, some of which we've just described here. And again, they're not they're not issues with obvious solutions at this stage. And every issue has its sort of, you know, has a corresponding benefit. It seems to me, and every benefit has a corresponding issue. So it, it just. Yeah, whichever which whichever kind of version of this remote in office balance you come up with, it's going to create a new set of problems for, for a different set of people. I think.
1: I think on the whole, remote working is is still um, better for for the employees at least. Like having having the option of remote working, anyways. Um, there's there's too many too many people. Um, Living where they they don't want to live, <laughs> where they might not be able to afford to live, um, having their hands tied like that, uh, I, I I just think that the benefits that, that you would get by by letting people uh, sort of settle on their own living situation and and working around that um, would would be. Tremendous. I mean, just having lived in the Bay area and worked with people who were commuting two hours each way to, to get into work, into the office, like that's, that's not, I don't know how they did it, but there, there are, there are a lot of people that are, are just kind of in these really untenable, horrible situations like that. And, and just letting them work remotely would be such a, a, a boon to their to their mental and physical health. Um, I I can't imagine that that uh, that v- returning to a office mandated situation would. Um, I, I I don't think that's the the ideal way forward here. I think we need to we need to either figure out some way to do a, um, a sort of. Half and half, you know, work from home several days a week or whatever, uh, or or just kind of transition to remote work being the standard, because uh, because yeah. having it all yeah. centralized is just, you know, as as anyone who's who's just seen what's happened with you know, San Francisco, uh, any any big city, New York, Toronto, seeing seeing what happens with like just such a huge concentration of of people. And this obviously isn't just the video game industry doing this, but but and and all these people being forced basically by their work to live in the same tiny, tiny area of land is it, it creates so many problems that alleviating them any way you can, I think, is is uh, not a bad thing.
2: Yeah, and I it makes me think actually um, uh, someone I know let's call him my brother because he is in fact my brother. Uh, was looking for a new job just recently um, he the, the kind of work he does it's you know involves like being on the telephone a lot for example um, and he, he would be moving from having just done moving from one very similar job to another very similar job so there's the same basic processes are involved and obviously he had been working from home and, and all of his work had been set up so he could do it from home and he was looking for a new job and that That a potential employer said that when all this is over, we will need you to kind of be based near the office and be in the office four or five days a week or whatever it was. And this office is a long, long way away from where he currently lives. And the issue there, of course, is that it has just been proven, it has been proven for the last six months that this work can be done, not in an office, and it can be done effectively. In his line of work, productivity barely dropped, right? So there aren't there aren't these ideation phases, for example, which is what a lot of people in development cite, which I still think is a little bit dubious, and actually those can be addressed remotely. It's just we haven't really had very much time to, to figure out the best solutions. And certainly, if everybody can just show up to an office one day, on, on a Monday, for example, each week to do that ideation I think it can still work uh, it's a digression though but he was talking to me about it and and it just made me think oh yeah you know the standard for employment for decades and decades and decades has been You need to uproot your life and your family and move all the way across the country for not even that much money and certainly no hope of like early retirement or cashing out or any of the things that you get if you're like an entrepreneur or whatever it might be, you know, just a wage. But people, but employees have been expected to do that. Everyone has been expected to do that for ages and ages and ages and ages. And, And it just seems barbaric to me, you know, like his kid is in school. He has friends in that school. His wife, you know... His partner, um, that, that you know, is is a mother as much as, as she, but she does still work and could more easily move. You know, could 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 pick up and go somewhere else. But why should she? She's near her family. She's near her friends. But employers have been asking people to do this over and over again, very often moving to areas where they can they can ill afford to do it. And the last six months has shown that there are some kinds of work where that is a completely unreasonable thing to ask people to do. And I kind of welcome the end of that kind of thinking. Um, it sort of seems to stem from a basic assumption that everybody should just be grateful they have a job, when actually employers should be grateful that, that people come to work for them and should be trying to find ways to make that have as little impact on their general happiness well-being health emotional health so on and so forth and it's really just kind of forced that issue to the forefront and given everybody a really strong arguing position to say you know what you can't tell me i need to move to scotland when my job involves using the internet on a laptop anymore you know that it 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 has changed the dynamics of that discussion um, in a way that, that this kind of offered hard proof that there's a lot that can be done that doesn't involve being in an office five days a week. So uh, I'm with Brendan. I think it, it's on the whole, it's a good thing, but I also think it's kind of the genie's out of the bottle. And I, I actually just think it's a foregone conclusion now. Every com- company is going to have to be a lot more open to this idea and to support it and enable it in ways that they may not have been comfortable with. But you know what, like anyone who... Anyone listening to this who, who's ever kind of routinely been getting people to move across the country, uprooting their family and friends, you know, your company culture has never been worth the disruption that 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 brings to people's lives. Um, it was always, you know, I, I just see that as a bit of a fallacy historically that that that, that, that is worth it. it. It really isn't like the, the happiness of individuals outweighs company culture every single time.
1: What impact? Does this have on, or does the idea of of a mass pivot to remote work have on outsourcing? Hmm. Good. Good question. Just we've 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 seen so many publishers um, turn to support studios or, or set up studios in, in very uh, low cost uh, places to to help make their games and. I mean, even from, the, from those support studios' uh, perspectives, they, they probably understand a lot more about remote working and, and how to handle that, um, those problems of productivity when you're not communicating with, with people directly a lot better than, than companies that have been completely centralized to this point because their, their day-to-day has always been, you know, answering to people that are on another continent even. Um, and, and with the switch to remote work, do they start to, to embrace remote work on top of that? Do, do developers start to move out of these uh, high-cost areas? Decentralized, and do you wind up then with a uh, a concentration of highly trained, highly talented developers, but they are in the highly expensive cities, and and are they going to have a harder time uh, finding employment without you know following the, the the trend of other people who are willing to? Relocate to cheaper areas, and, and and part of the reason I'm asking this is because I look at what happened, what has happened with game journalism in the last 20 years, uh, as we've we've realized like you don't need a centralized office to do what we do. Uh, we still have some, we, you know, we have you know GameSpot and IGN. They're right down the street from each other in San Francisco. Uh, game Informer is, they in Wisconsin. Not not quite as uh, um, expensive an area, but they're still in office and centralized. But so many other places, um, the you know, katakus and polygons and, and and such are have more distributed workforces. And and like I I know a number of journalists um, who are experienced and talented and fantastic, and they live in the Bay Area, but they haven't been you know, able to find, uh, reasonable employment in, in game journalism as, as a result of that, because they just can't, you know, the, the, the wages aren't, aren't enough to, to really support living in these expensive areas because you can find someone living just about anywhere who, who can do it. And maybe, maybe the, the talent set for journalists isn't as highly valued as, as it is for, uh, programmers and engineers, Um, to say the least, but still when, when, when the workforce, you know, is each individual is basically competing for jobs against people who need a fraction of, of the money to, to make it viable for them. uh, Like it just becomes very, very difficult uh, to, to make it work um, when, you know, your living in San Francisco and, and asking for, you know, not low six figures to get by. And there are people in, in Oklahoma, or, or, or Georgia, who, you know, can do the job, maybe as well, and, and they only need a fraction of the money. Yeah.
2: But then, of course, you know, that That is itself an outcome of the hyper concentration of tech companies around single cities that make it impossible to live for not just games journalists, but all kinds of people who previously called it home. And that in and of itself is not not a great situation. So it's like it's a it's a bad it's like the the underside of an already broken, you know, of an already broken situation, I guess, which was broken by the very thing that that. You know, the, 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 it's kind of like a loop. It's all sort tied together. But actually, you can extrapolate that beyond, I mean, in terms of game development. I mean, though, that actually, this already happens, you know, that the, 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 uh, a huge chunk of the team that makes FIFA is in Romania, um, and then a smaller chunk is in Vancouver. But it's a game made by EA Vancouver, because... Because the computer science education in Romania is good. Um, they may not have kind of people who are very experienced with sort of high-level A product management and stuff, and those people they get from from uh, West Coast U- US and North America, and they get the sort of rank-and-file and programmers, artists, and so on from universities in Bucharest and, and around because they don't require many more wages. But that's already happening, right, that... There's a reason why there's a Ubisoft Casablanca, you know. Um, there's a reason why Ubisoft has come. Has, there's a Ubisoft Jakarta. Like these are these are not necessarily about chasing talent. Though I would say that there's plenty of very talented people in all of these countries, but it's it's much much more because that that talent does not cost nearly as much. And when you when you need plenty of people to work, that makes more sense. So one one of the things that does get brought up a lot is that. <clears throat> remote working just makes it easier to go get, you know, cheaper talent elsewhere in the world. I mean, I think one thing to remember is that it is still talent. These people are still very well, highly trained and very skilled. So they're just as deserving of a job as anyone else. And in an industry that's kind of digital and remote, the yeah, someone, you know, if, if, if it's an English company, I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing that an English person is going up against a Romanian for the job when you're selling your products to the world, not just to people in England, for example. Um, but it does, will have a huge knock-on effect to the job market and what people can reasonably ask for in terms of wages, you know, that that, that sort of competition will just mean that everyone gets paid a little bit less. That's potentially an outcome of it, because part of the reason why... Uh, programmer is on high six figures as a starting salary in san francisco is because of how much san francisco costs not because of the inherent worth of that job or that's not based on the amount of money that the game ultimately earns that's that's an outcome of the place they live um it's a thorny issue right like i again i I do feel like every time you look at it one way there's another way of looking at The, the opposite has its own equivalent problem
0: that is all we've got time for is a big topic and i have no doubt we'll probably return to it on a future week In the meantime, please go back and listen to previous episodes of the podcast. Uh, Particularly enjoyed our recent Games of the Generation uh, podcast that we did. Go go back and listen to that. It's about two hours, but it's definitely, definitely worth it. That's on the feed, along with all our Game Developers playlist and five games of uh, spin-off episodes. You can find them all on the feed on your podcasting platform of choice. And you can get your news, insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz.